Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 407 of Longbox Heroes After Dark. Joe and Todd joining you as always. Todd, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. In a better way to improve my audio quality, I am staying perfectly still, <laughs> and I'm putting my hands on the right hand sides of the right and left hand sides of the microphones to act as uh, faux sound buffers. Oh, what you need is one of those spit guards, and a you pop need a filter. Oh, don't pop your peas, Joe. Right. I need and to have need... the egg crates hanging up behind me to absorb the sound that's bouncing around. You need a towel under your microphone. So if when you when you pound the desk as you are wont to do, it will muffle it through the, the, the blankie underneath your microphone. Let's give this a try here. Hang on. Excuse me. Okay. Don't forget to bring a towel. <laughs> remember Towley? I remember yeah, I remember Towley. Do you remember Burger Towley? I do. Re- <laughs> you know, you know, Burger Towley would probably sound a lot like this. <laughs> hey, Pluto. <laughs> I want to get a little high, Pluto. <laughs> All right. Careful now. Careful now. Mm-hmm. I wonder where I can get a Burger Towel in person. <laughs> anyway. Oh, never mind. See, we're getting off the subject already. We're not even a minute into the show, Todd, and you're already distracting me with your Jim Cornettery. Yes, my Jim Clarinettery? Yes. I hope everyone likes burger towels for Christmas. (laughs) Oh, boy. And handcuff keys. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we have stuff to discuss. We are in the shadow of San Diego. But there is still news to talk about, as the C and D level news by the big companies has been leaked out, and we're going to postulate on what some of the big news to come out of San Diego could be. Uh, convention stuff. Todd, San Diego Comic-Con's this weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't like calling it international, because it just takes place in one place. But anyway. Uh, digital sales and freebies. Todd. Yes. There are no less than 16 different sales going on, many of which are specifically San Diego-themed. So, like, all the comics take place in San Diego. No, it's like, oh, this is our celebration of San Diego Comic Day. Can't be at free, can't be at free comic book day? Do this, you know? So. It has to be the Aquaman episodes where California sank into the sea and it became sub-Diego. Do you remember that? I do. Oh, fantastic times. Uh, then we have books to discuss from this past week. Uh, all number ones across the board. We have Amazing Spider-Man number one uh, by Nick Spencer and Ryan Othley. We have Superman number one by Brian Michael Bendis. And we have the, the, the number one from Image Comics. Oh, wait, that's Die, Die, Die. Sorry. <laughs> I get that. We also have what we're looking forward to coming out this week. <laughs> uh, dip into uh, Todd's Art Attack. And discussion of the penultimate episode of Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Is that really the penultimate already? Yeah, it's allegedly, uh, is it eight episodes or ten episodes? I thought it was ten. Hmm. See? Did the internet lie to me, Todd? 
That would never. Computer says no. I don't know. You are correct. It is ten episodes, so I apologize. It is not the penultimate episode. We do have. Uh... Oh, now this is. Uh, we're again. This is an episode. We're all over the place, and that's fine. Um, so episode eight's title is Backbreaker. Episodes ten's title is Ghost Stories. Mm. Episodes nine title nine's title is episode ten. Well, that's a good title for episode nine. <laughs> that's some quality control going on there over at the Imdaba. All right. So anyway, let's get into some discussion about some of the pre-con San Diego news that have come out. And this is one of the things that really upsets me that we have to discuss is that with San Diego Comic-Con coming out, this is the week, typically, that all of the solicitations for October come out. But because they're all waiting to make the big announcements for San Diego Comic-Con, all the solicitations get delayed a week. And it drives me nuts, because I like oh. having that. I like update the spreadsheet, Todd. You are a big fan of change. That's right. No. Um, so some of the things, of course, that have been announced uh, is Marvel is bringing back what-ifs. And that's not just what you say to try to get your ideas in uh, when you're talking to Vince. Uh, DC <laughs> is doing the Hanna-Barbera crossovers uh, yet again. And, um, yeah, th so those are the two big ones. You know, like, I guess those would technically be qualified as your uh, fifth-week events, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the the, the what-ifs are like, what if Flash Thompson was Spider-Man? Or what if Magic was Sorcerer Supreme? What if Ghost Rider played a guitar or something? It's a little unclear of what's going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what if, like, a Frost Giant or something was Thor? Like, the Thor and Loki roles are reversed. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't understand what's going on with the Cable and Domino one. And then what if Spider-Man was the Punisher? That would be a good one. Right. He's um, going to punish them spiderly. So I have to ask, Todd. I'm looking at these covers and I'm throwing out these concepts. Mm-hmm. When was the last time what-ifs were good? <sighs> when was the last time what-ifs were good? Yes. They, I know, obviously the two runs of what-if, there was an earlier run and a later run, had some really good stories in them. And then there would seem like we would get a what-if every once in a while after that. So I'm just going to say, whatever the years were, the two, the two good, like the two runs were. That was it. And there was a couple of good what-if stories when they were called Elseworld stories at DC. But now they're dark label, so black label. Right, I, I think Elseworlds hold up better than What Ifs. Like, outside of the cover and maybe, like, a four-page proof of story, that's really all that there is for What Ifs. Uh, back in the day, I, I, I think some of those What If stories hold up. There was the What If, there was a famous one, What If uh, Wolverine had killed the Hulk, and then later they flopped it and did What If the Hulk had killed Wolverine. There's, I remember enjoying... And that one Some had, like, the fancy silver embossed cover. Right. I think one of them. The other earlier one was before the the uh, the, 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 the fancy uh, covers that they did. But I don't know. I, I mean, some of those Elseworlds hold up, but they were, like, they were, like, prestige format size. They were, like, the square bound. There was more story to them. Um, I think if maybe if I had read more of the What Does or What Does. What Does was great. I don't know if you remember those. I do. But, uh. Uh, 
what ifs were a little before my time and I wasn't as big as a Marvel fan. So my wheelhouse was more the Elseworlds ones. There was, you know what they, they tried to bring back a little while ago at Marvel and it didn't quite click that they would Hmm. do like a whole theme of it at Marvel was when they would do assistant editors month. Right. And the what if for assistant editors month famously one time was what if Aunt May was this, uh, was Galactus's herald. Right, that was that was a big one. Right, so I think that was the last good what if story. Was it? And in a what the? I remember him getting fed wheat cakes by the uh, Herald uh, Aunt May. I yes. Think. So uh, I don't know. I enjoy the idea of what if, mm-hmm. and I still think it's the greatest name of those types of stories. I like. I know we've discussed this before. I like it way better than Elseworlds. To each but, his own, I guess. Right. So DC's thing is they're re- you know they're doing some more of the uh, Hanna Barbera crossovers. Uh, they're doing Yogi Bear and Deathstroke, uh, written by Frank Thierry. <laughs> they're doing Superman and Top Cat, written by Dan DiDio. <laughs> and I already did one voice. I'm not going to do two. Right now, if it was uh, Rodney Ronnie James Dan DiDio, that would be a different story. Uh, Green Lantern Huckleberry Hound, written by Mark Russell. More on him later. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nightwing McGilla Gorilla, written by Heath Corson. Right, uh, who did that great Bizarro miniseries uh, years ago. Yes, yes. Which I still want to see a sequel to. And I'm sad to see Heath Corson not doing as much uh, in comics, so anytime that I see him pop up on something... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it immediately comes on my radar, you know? Right. Yeah. These, uh, out of these, these seem like a lesser group of, like, I, I liked the, uh, Speed Buggy Flash one. My, one of my favorite ones was the Aquaman, uh, Aquaman Jabberjaw one. On this one, there's not too many that are jumping out at me other than the Heath Corson one, just because of the writer that he is. Mm -hmm. Um, but the team ups and the right, and the, uh, creative teams, they're not blowing me away with this uh, this uh, Hanna Barbera DC crossover set, right? So if you want to get even more upset about this, right? Uh, so the other day when this was announced, uh, Heath Corson put out uh, on his uh, Twitter uh, that he's doing the now in these announcements the second features the backups aren't announced, right? Uh, so he mentions, hey, excited to be doing Nightwing McGilla Gorilla with Tom Grummet. Uh, we talked about Tom Grummet just a few weeks ago. Big Tom Grummet fan. Um, you would, he coulda and shoulda been DC's Mark Bagley in the nineties. Okay. So he continues and says that if things couldn't get more exciting, the backup, uh, the backup feature, uh, in my issue is a secret squirrel story from JM DeMatties. Oh boy. And then he goes on to say, this will be the first time that we've successfully worked together. However, it's by no means the only time that we ever tried. We had a Super Buddies animated pitch spinning out of JLI floating floating around WB Animation for years. We chatted about the possibilities, and it never got picked up. Okay, all right. <laughs> Let's stop here for a second. All right. Um... I don't know if I can go on with the rest of this podcast because I am totally destroyed inside right now. Yes. That needed to have happened. Yes. Who, like, I need, I need, 
one of those at things that you go to Twitter and at at because I need to at at somebody so I can get this made. This has to happen. Ugh. Making me so mad with this news, Joe. What do you you knew what was gonna happen? No, listen, yes, I decided I'm gonna go to Heath Heath Corson's Twitter account and I'm gonna see that he's discuss that he's discussing that he and JM DeMatties were pitching a jail a uh, Super Buddies cartoon around. Mm-hmm. I knew that was going to happen. But when you read it, you knew what was gonna happen when you read it. Well, I could have kept it to myself. And not destroyed me from the inside. I guess. Oh, I'll oh never Todd, listen, destroying you from the inside, there's a long list of things <laughs> trying to do that. I'm just, yeah. You're on the, you're on the back end. Uh-huh. Uh, so some of the other announcements that came out beforehand, um, would be G. Willow Wilson, uh, who really brought, uh, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, to prominence, not doing, she's done work at DC before, but now she, along with Carrie Nord, are going to be doing Wonder Woman, uh, starting this November. Which I think is a big deal because she probably was, I would say over the last five years, the most notable new female creator in comics. Okay. And for DC to pick her up and to put her on their top female character, Right. I think, and I wouldn't be surprised if DC decides to do this with a similar Bendis-like push. Not doing commercials and hyping it up for three months in advance, but I think they can get... This could be the thing that, if they market it correctly, could get Wonder Woman up to that top-tier sales echelon that they've been trying to get her at. And, you know, I'm sure the fact that Wonder Woman has been the only good DC movie of the last 15 years. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. uh, last nine years, because Dark Knight came out ten years ago. Right. So last nine, the, the last good DC movie of the last nine years was Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman's sequel is in production. Getting a high-profile female, probably the highest-profile female creator on their highest-profile female creation. And I think uh, they have a recipe for success. Don't mess it up, DC. They would never do that. I'm going to give it a try. I never really read any of her stuff on the Ms. Marvel stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, I am interested, so I'll give it a try. And Carrie Nord, he knows how to draw some pretty stuff. He, so. cer- he certainly does. I'm a big Carrie Nord fan from way back in the day. And by way back in the day, I mean 1996. What was he doing that you enjoyed? <laughs> I know, Todd, you're going to find this hard to believe. Uh, right? He was doing art on a book called Daredevil. Well, there was the, the, the Daredevil from the Golden Age that has nothing to do with the Mark Wade character. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't know that. I, I'm a big fan of Carrie Nord from Kurt Busick's Conan run at Dark Horse. Yes. And, and that's, so, and that's the other thing is if you look at his style there in that book and you look at how he did the, uh, Carl Kessel, not Kessel run, Daredevil <laughs> books, I'll give you one joke per segment, two I won't sit still for. Um, but if you look at the style between those two books, it's like almost, you could see, it's like, okay, that's probably the same artist, but it's such completely different styles. Like, he's really an amazing, underrated artist. Yes, he is. Uh, the aforementioned, uh, Mark Russell, who did Prez, P-R-E-Z, Flintstones, Snagglepuss, he's doing that Huckleberry Hound book, 
with Green Lantern now with the one shots over DC, uh, over at, uh, Dynamite, he's going to be doing a Lone Ranger book. Yes, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I really enjoyed, was it the Brett Matthews run? If you can find the Brett Matthews run of the Lone Ranger, that is one of the best runs, uh, of a Western book ever that I really enjoyed. Then after that, it kind of fell off. There was a couple runs in there that I tried that I didn't like, but you know, I've heard good things from stuff that he's loved. I never read Prez or whatever, but this looks, sounds like it could be a fun, you know, a, a fun version of, of the Lone Ranger. And anytime they reboot it, I'm like, uh, I'll give it a try. So. Also, Dynamite just recently announced, uh, again, no dates on these. Th- well, again, I think they're going to be October. Like, this is all like October, November right. stuff. Uh, friend of the show, uh, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. writer of Rock Candy Mountain, Kyle Starks, is going to be doing a Mars Attacks book over at Dynamite as well. That sounds like fun. See? Todd knows what's up. I do. I know it's down, too. Right. Now, granted, I would have loved for this to be written and drawn by Kyle Starks. Right. Uh, but to do live animation is a terrible strain of the right, of the artist's wrists. <laughs> so. Right. Um, Mars Attacks is one of those concepts that I always get such a kick out of, you know? Did I ever tell you about when we went to see Mars Attacks and we all hated it the first time we watched it? Maybe. Because, like, literally, it was one of those days we had plans to go see Mars Attacks. We were all on the verge of, like, a full-blown flu. Like, everybody went to see it. This is back when we used to, like, literally movie treks from the comic shop were huge. There was, you know, a cast of thousands that would go see movies together. But we were all sick. And we were like, should we? No. And we were just miserable watching the movie. We walked out. We were like, we all hated that movie. We all had pounding headaches. We're all going home. Never talked about it again until it started the cable rotations. Mm-hmm. And we are like, why did we hate more Mars Attacks? This movie's hysterical. I, so it was one of those, you ever just have, like, you're in a terrible mood, and it and it just, like, it just ruins the thing that you're doing, and you see it later, and you're kind of like, eh, you know what, it wasn't as bad as I remember. You'll see something and not be in the right state of mind. It's apples and oranges, mm-hmm. but the first time that I saw Swingers... Right. I hated it. Okay. I did not get this movie. I hated every character in the movie. I wanted them to die in a fire. Right. And then uh, Brian Studebaker said, no, no, no. You got to see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm like, all right. I go, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm trusting you on this one. So I saw it again, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I'm picking up what this movie's putting down. I'm on board now, you know. And uh, I think Swingers is a really good movie. Uh, under a, a great movie, one of the greatest scenes in, in all of movie history is when they're having the breakfast in the in the in the convenience store, <laughs> liquor store or whatever. Right. And and Vaughn gets up on the table and he's just all groans up. That is Scott after about eight beers. <laughs> that is literally that character in that movie. That drunk, like we always said, Scott. The summer you is drunken Vince Vaughn in every movie when he gets blasted. And he doesn't remember a lot of it. So we need to go out and have a few drinks. <clears throat> now, I will also say this. Uh, Mars Attacks. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton's last good movie. I don't know. Like You'd you, you have to IMDB I, it and look. But... I got it right in front of me. So let's go. All right. So we start with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Amazing movie. Beetlejuice. 
Amazing movie. Batman. I really like the first Batman. Edward Scissorhands. Uh, it's got my first, one of my first uh, future ex-wives in it. Good movie. Anthony Michael Hall. Batman Returns. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Okay, but uh, you know what, though? Batman Returns, not terrible. No, it's not the worst of the Batman movies by any stretch. No. It's it's become like the fourth best Batman movie by doing nothing. There was a time right. when it was the second worst. Right. Now it's yeah. Uh, now it's fourth best. Right. So then Ed Wood. That's a good movie. A, a all-time classic film. Right. So just right there, 1 2 3 4 5 6 movies. Mm-hmm. You're talking five classics. Right. Then Mars attacks. Okay. Okay, now things are going to get a little suspect, Todd. Okay. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Okay. The Marky Mark Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's terrible. That's good and te- that's that's like horrible. Right. Um then we kind of bring it back a little bit with Big Fish. Okay. Big Fish is one of my favorite movies. Yes. That is to me that all those are classics before it for different reasons mm-hmm. where big fish is a legitimately good like great film do you know what i'm trying to yes. say like cult classics like when you're done if you when the father tells the 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 kid tells the father's dying story if you're not crying in that scene and then at the end he sees all the people who make up the the like the stories they come to the funeral i'm like not just a good like all around brilliant. Obviously, he's working from somebody else's, like, you know, story, but to me, just a brilliant, brilliant film. So then he does Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Which, you know what, I think gets, because I, I didn't see the original one until later in life, so I don't have that love mm-hmm. of the original Charlie and the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't think that movie's that bad. Uh, I could say, as someone who saw... Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't love it as much as other people on the network, but it's a very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. Charlie and Chocolate Factory is a piece of garbage. Okay. Corpse Bride. Never saw that one. It's fine. Uh, Sweeney Todd. Never saw that one. It's fine. The, o- I, the only musical I'll ever see is the Blues Brothers. Now we start to dip a little bit more. Alice right. in Wonderland. Never saw that. Hot Garbage. Dark Shadows. That had Alice Cooper in it, so it can't be that bad. Oh, my goodness. It's probably hot garb. Uh, Big Eyes. I don't even know what that is. Right. I didn't see it either, but apparently uh, it's not good. Uh, The book adaptation of Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Sure. And the fact that that movie came out two years ago, and I didn't know they made a movie of it, I was confused. Mm-hmm. And I forget what we had. Oh, when we went to go see uh, Ant Man and Wasp, they had the trailer for uh, Tim Burton's Dumbo in it. Right. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, I didn't know they allowed Tim Burton to still make movies, but apparently they do. And really quick, when I went to see Ant Man, did you see the new trailer for A Star Is Born yet? No, I've seen no trailers for A Star Is Born, but I'm aware of it. It's Josh Brolin and Lady Gaga, right? Right, with a understudy in the movie, and it's great when I tell you who it is, because there's a scene where they're doing, like, talking back and forth, and I'm like, in the background, I'm like, is that? And I'm like, no, that can't be, right? 
We'll get there. So then they're doing more scenes, more scenes, and they're like, a star is born, coming, blah, blah, blah. And you know how they do that really quick, Josh Brolin or whoever's in well, it? and they flash lady. up the names, like, boom, 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 boom. But they do it so fast, Joe, that I, but I caught it. And it was that person in the background. Andrew Dice Clay is in A Star is Born. What? Yes, he is. All right. Well, we're going to see it, Todd. <laughs> yes. I was like, and I kept thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my God. And it literally, because it's in big letters when the names hit the screen. And, Joe, it was on for an eighth of a second. And I'm like, do you think that has anything to do with Andrew Dice Clay? Hmm. I don't know. To, to paraphrase myself, they let Andrew Dice Clay around people still. <laughs> All right. right. Uh, so the last thing in news. Hey, we're in the we're in the middle of the news segment, folks. That's true. Uh, so the last thing is that Marvel is partnering with IDW to not do reprints, but to do brand new all ages titles, uh, featuring you know essentially their movie properties: Spider Man, Avengers, Black Panther, and stuff like that. Right. Um. Essentially, what it comes down to is. Marvel essentially admitting that they don't know how to market to children (laughs) and shopping it out to IDW, who does know how to market to children. Right. Uh, That's interesting. It's a good idea. I mean, if if it can get the movie properties, which are what the people know, into the kids' hands, get the kids to like comics, bring them into the comic shop, it's it's a good thing. There's, I mean, it could work well as long as they don't mess it up. Right, no creative teams have been announced yet, um, but they're, it's essentially, they keep in the press release, it's a new line of middle grade comic books. Middle grade comic books, middle grade comic books. So I guess it's gonna be like, not like babies, I think it's gonna be like pre-teens. It's essentially what DC is doing in-house with their 15 different, uh, brands, where it's zip and zap and ink and flip and flop and like, uh, like these ones are for kids age 10 and a half to 12, but mm-hmm. these ones are for kids 11 to 14. Mm-hmm. And it's like, alright guys, let's kinda this, do, uh, you, I, I, I appreciate the try, but you're just like, making things o- more difficult on all of us. Like, this one over here is for the hippin' and the hoppin'. This one's over here for the bippin' and the boppin'. I know there's way, there's way too many titles. And then, like you said, it goes all the way up to more adult, I don't mean like adult, adult titles with the black, with the, the black label as we were talking. So, like, I don't know how many different lines DC is gonna have at the end. But, like I said, if the Marvel one could, could, to do that with probably the most popular superhero thing that is out there, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, that's, to me, that's always a no-brainer, and we always talk about it, how some of these people, they don't have what's on the screen in comics on the shelves in comic shops. I just, it, it boggles my mind. Right, and there's a way that they could do it so that it's honoring the continuity of the comics, honoring the continuity of the movies, not being direct movie tie-ins that like, oh, if you haven't seen Infinity War, then you'll have no idea what's going on in Marvel Adventures Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. But just making it being a little bit more appealing to kids. You know how you do that? How? Whatever, whatever continuity you use, it does not matter. Put them in the movie costumes. That's all you need for right. kids. Like, you're like, oh, it's Ant-Man. You could have it as not even Scott Lang. You could have it as, like, Hank Pym or even the Kirkman one or whatever. And it doesn't matter. As long as it looks like the movie, the younger kids are going to be happy going, like, oh, I get to read the thing the thing that I know. 
You know what I mean? Like, give them all movie photo covers. True. Like, why design the costumes to make them kind of sort of look like the movies? Just slap <laughs> random stills and images from the movies, Photoshop <laughs> a couple things together, and you're good to go. That would be a great idea. I don't know. Listen, these this is why we don't get paid the big bucks, because of our ideas, and they're terrible. Yeah, I think they're pretty darn good, Joe. All right, so... Uh, the la- is that all the news? Yes. I hope so. So, uh, don't <laughs> worry. Conventions is quick, Todd. Hey, is there any conventions this weekend? Hey, Todd. Mm-hmm. There's a convention in Seaside, Oregon called Versus Con. Cool. Uh, that looks to have a bunch of like voice talenty types there, like uh, you know, voiceover actors, people like that. Okay. Then there's Anything a convention else? called the North Texas Comic Show in Irving, Texas. That has to be the biggest con because everything's the biggest in Texas. Well, Steve, well, <laughs> got some list, got some people there. Uh, okay. Steve Englehart's going to be there. Rick Leonardi, Christopher Priest, Ty Templeton, Mike DiCarlo, Phil Hester. So it's a pretty good lineup. Yeah. Everyone and everything else is going to be at San Diego. <laughs> pretty much. Right. Now, if these three cons, Todd. <laughs> What's the one you'd want to go to? Mm, well, I've been to San Diego. <laughs> so I guess the Texas one. I haven't been to the Texas one. Right. So uh, the links to all those will be in the show notes. Soon-to-be-named-network.com, uh, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com is where you can find all the information about all the little podcasts in our network, whether it be this show whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, which, again, we do another long episode for some reason. I don't know what our problem is. I think it's you not staying focused to what we need to talk about. Right. Very distracted all the time. <laughs> uh, so there's a bunch of stuff on sale. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there is no less than 16 sales that are San Diego, like, it's sales that have been going on for a while now. Like, hey, remember that, the Valiant sale that's going on until the end of August? They've just revamped it and said, San Diego Valiant sale. Hey, remember those IDW sales on Transformers books that have been going on for the last two months? That's Mm -hmm. now a San Diego-themed sale. Right. Um, Marvel has a recent hits sale, which is, I think, stuff that's been released within the last, like, Let's say three months, right? Mm-hmm. Where that's stuff that's on sale. Like, it's three months is, like, the newest. It goes, like, three months and back, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Like, they have, just looking at the list, they have Amazing Spider-Man up to issue 799, which would have been three months ago. But then they have, like, the year prior. So it's, like, all that with, like, whatever their current, like, published books are. Okay. Uh, they're also having a separate Nick Spencer sale going on. I wonder why. And I don't need to tell you this. Go get Superior Foes of Spider-Man. <laughs> Hopefully the digital issues doesn't have a, uh, a, a that post-script at the end that almost ruined the entire thing. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway. Uh, they also are having a Bronze Age sale is Marvel. Which is a lot of their 70s oddballs. <laughs> Like, if you want to get the entire run of any anything that a uh, man thing appeared in, <laughs> or the California-based champions led by Hercules, 
Ooh. If you need the full run of Omega the Unknown, this is the sale for you. That comic is actually unknown to me. Oh, really? Yes, I remember Omega the Unknown. Uh, DC is also having a sale where it's 60% off trades. Uh, it's one of those ones, just be careful, you gotta put, like, the code in for it and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 60%, per- well, okay, so it's 60% off a ton of stuff, right? Okay. Uh, single issues, recent releases, quote-unquote, like, you can get the trade of Dark Knight's Metal, which I think just came out, like, two weeks ago. And you're getting that at 60% off. Uh, you can get issues 48 and 49 of Batman, where, like, issue 51 comes out this week. So we're talking stuff that came out a week ago. You can get 60, or a month ago, 60% off. And, Todd, what would a DC sale be without, say it with me, Mm -hmm. these two books on sale? Uh, Is one of them uh, Batman Year One? Yes. Is the other one Batman The Dark Knight Returns? Yes. I'm sorry I didn't say it with you, but I didn't know which one you were going to go with first. Right. Probably year one, because year one is one that's first. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do in my head anyway. But there's a ton of stuff in that DC sale. A ton, a ton of stuff. I can't, like, I can't even, like, they, they're breaking it up of, like, you know, here's recent stuff. Here's Batman. Here's Superman. Here's hidden gems. And then here's graphic novels A through E. Then here's F through J. Then here's K through S. You know, it's just... Mm-hmm. So then what's uh, what's T through what then? Uh, Z maybe? T through Z. I'm just taking a guess. You didn't Z. finish it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, everything is 60% off. But be careful because the sale is only good for like another two days. Right. And then I'm sure on San Diego, like the day that San Diego Comic-Con begins, I'm sure they'll be doing another similarly themed sale. So just keep your eyes peeled, buyer beware, all that sort of jazz. Right. i got to keep that open. got to keep that open. Okay, and the digital freebies. Uh, let me know if you notice a theme with these, Todd. Okay, I'll try. Okay. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 292. Okay. Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21. Right. Amazing Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane issue one of the miniseries. Right. And Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows number one. Right. These are all comics that have never been in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Also... Are they all uh, Mary Jane Wedding Spider-Man stuff? Right. Uh, 292 is when she, uh, Mary Jane, accepts Peter's proposal. 21 is the marriage, uh, the infamous cover that they replicated with actors at Shea Stadium. (laughs) Uh, The Mary Jane is actually a really underrated... um, when Marvel was like, hey, how could we appeal to teens and kids to get them to read our stuff? I know, let's get people who make manga... And try to trick them into buying romance non- manga. Okay. You'd be surprised how it didn't work. I don't know. I think it did, but just on a really, 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 really small scale. Right. But the, it's really good. And then Renew Your Vows was kind of like the spinoff. Uh, it was essentially Marvel's attempt to try to do what DC was doing with having the different worlds, Superman and Lois Lane with Jonathan Kent, which has now become... Like the actual in continuity characters. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I can't speak of the quality of, but the amazing Spider-Man stuff, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, recommended, recommended. Check them out, they're free. So, those are the digital sales and freebies. Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? Well, I'm going to start, because you're all worn out from the digital freebies and sales, uh, with the book I was looking forward to most, which was Superman Number 1 by Brian Michael Bendis. And Ivan Hayes, Rice, Reese, however you we, say it. We name. know the correct way, Todd. Right. Um, but basically this, you know, continues from the miniseries that Brian Michael Bendis did with multiple artists um, with after the events of Rogo Czar, Rogo Czar destroying Kandor and also the Fortress of Solitude and Superman's dealing with that. Also dealing with the fact that in that fight, uh, Jor-El is alive and has taken Jonathan Kent and uh, Lois Lane off into space to to teach uh, Jonathan Kent about his heritage. But Clark lost the communicator in battle; it was destroyed. So he decides to go, you know, every once in a while and take a look for them to see if he can find them. Um, he ends up stopping a you know an invasion fleet that's coming to Earth. Goes back to Earth, and we get to see him talking to the Justice League uh, about the destruction of the Fortress of Solitude. Also, there's more with the uh, the, the uh, arsonist that's going around uh, Metropolis looking into that. And I'm trying to remember some of the other great stuff. Oh, uh, Martian Manhunter is one of my favorite parts. Is Martian Manhunter comes to Superman to discuss things because they're both the last of their people, and they always had that in common. And Martian Manhunter is like, maybe you should stand up a little more and help this planet. And maybe the way he words some things is is almost creepy, and he maybe insinuates take over, but then he changes the phrasing. But while all this is going on, I, there's there's scenes where Superman is hearing things, and he's like, hold that thought. And he's going, and he's stopping something, and then he'll cut like a giant dinosaur attacking London, and then he'll come back and have the talk with John, uh, Martian Manhunter, a little more, and then go... Um, I really enjoyed this issue. It looked beautiful because Ivan's stuff is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it, it, it's not so much a number one because I think they they kind of missed the mark on this. With the miniseries, they tried to do it like the John Byrne Man of Steel miniseries that kickstarted everything. Um, they tried to do most of the story there. I think they should have just done these in Superman instead of starting a story after the miniseries, but because I read it, I get everything. Um, the only thing that I didn't like about it, and it's something that you pointed out years ago to me, and it's the one thing that I don't like about Brian Michael Bendis, is when he was doing Avengers, um, everybody seemed to have the same character, no matter who they were. And when the Justice League is together, it seemed to feel like an old Avengers book, where everybody was just had to get their joke in, and they did... And I was like, okay, I don't know about Flash and Hal Jordan, and they're all, you know, cracking wise, as you would say. Um, and I didn't like that scene, which makes me kind of want to see Bendis stay away from a Justice League book. I think he did good in this issue, Bendis, pronouns pal, with mm-hmm. the Clark stuff. I love his Superman. He gets Superman. Right. Okay, There's you cannot doubt this. He gets Superman, like you had mentioned the part with him and Martian Manhunter. And during the conversation, Clark keeps leaving because there's things going on that he needs to take care of. Mm-hmm. And he just can't 
stop himself. He can't sit still. There's people in danger. I'm aware of it. I can stop it. I'm going to stop it. Even though I'm in the middle of a conversation with one of the most, you know, member of the Justice League, one of the most important people, you know, equally as important as Clark is, Superman. And again, I'm calling him Clark because he's the baby face, you know. (laughs) I call Luther Luthor because he's the heel. It's not as personal, but Superman, I call him Clark because we know him. The only uh, the only part of that rule you ever use is when you say Richards. That's it. Right. But, but that's because I'm quoting the heel. Right. Okay. But he gets Superman, right? But everyone else, as you mentioned, is like he's already falling into like the Bendis way of writing. But that's what DC hired, and that's what DC wants. Um, everyone's funny. Everyone cracks the same type of jokes. It's still good because he gets Superman, and that's at the core of it, man, you know? Um, the ancillary characters are going to be there when they're there. The Justice League isn't going to show up all the time. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is it the book it, he gets Superman, or is it the bar has been so low for Superman for the past, like, ten years? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, or, or is it a combination of both? I hate dead air on the podcast, but I think it's that he gets Superman. He writes a good Superman. There have been other writers who have come on. Like, I thought James Robinson got Superman, right? mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought um, there had been other writers, and I can't think of, like, off the top of my head right now, like, anyone who really just jumps out at me. But, like, Dan Juergens gets Superman, right? Right. But the stuff that was going on around him wasn't compelling enough for me to get with the book. And also there was probably some corporate mandates that came down that weren't any good. You know what I mean? Like, no matter how good you are, if you have to work garbage into your story, your story is going to be mostly garbage. And I hate to say this, but I think how bad the recent Superman movies have been have done more to hurt Superman comics than anything else. See, in my opinion, it's a mix of the low bar Mm -hmm. and Bendis getting Superman. Like you said, the Superman stuff sticks out. And it's just amazing, like like we said. And then there is the problems, but I think it's a it's a big mix because I look back when DC Rebirth Flash started, and I had have had fifty some issues or whatever it was of bad Flash, and the Flash was the the Flash was so good just because I had such a bad taste in my mouth from the Flash, even though it was really good. I always will take that into to account. It makes it seem much better when, when you've been eating just, just, just hot garbage. Right, but I'm, I'm interested to see what he's going to do in the action book. Right, me too. To see where that goes in. Um, you know, obviously the big deal of this is that he's made a new Fortress of Solitude. Uh, I don't know if I care. Uh, it's it's the, the old thing that I learned from Peter David. It's the illusion of change. But it's not change. It's mm-hmm. the same status quo. He has a Fortress of Solitude. It's in a different spot. I, I thought the parts where he was home alone in his apartment, remembering right. the, like situations that he had previously with John and uh, Lois, mm-hmm. and then we cut back to him, him in that same room but alone, I thought those were more powerful than any rebuilding of the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's like – that's all joking aside, laying the groundwork for something else. You know what I mean? Of course. And you had mentioned about the arsonist, which was like the B story, or like even the C story, because the A story was the Robert Zadar villain, whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to remember his name. It's Robert Zadar. That's the A story. He's the one who really destroyed Krypton. 
And now he's coming to finish the job. Your B story is, is what happened to Lois. Your C story was the fires and that new fire chief that had come from Gotham City and her and Clark building up a little bit of a relationship. Well, now we have someone who comes and says that it's Superman who's starting the fires. And I believe him. Why we, as the readers, know that to not be true. Mm-hmm. But what would cause this person to say that Superman's starting the fires? That's a good enough of a thread of a mystery to right. keep me on board. And then there's a huge cliffhanger at the end that we kind of swayed away from. So Right. But, so, like, and I'm willing to see where all it goes. And like you said, I want to see what action does. Because action I was, it might be the more Clark-heavy right. stuff. So the other book that I think we both read from this past week, the book I was most looking forward to coming out this week, was Amazing Spider-Man number one, written by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Otley. Uh, kind of back-to-basic sort of thing. Uh, $6 oversized issue, of course, because it's Marvel and they have to. <laughs> and I guess this was as close to going back to an old let's say, late 70s up to late 80s Spider-Man story as there has been in that long of a time. Uh, I know there was a bunch of times, Brand New Day, things like that, where they would always try to, like, bring Spider-Man back to the kind of hard lock down in his luck sort of thing, but he's been up for so long, it's time to bring him, not back down, but to make him even. Where he talks about all the great things that are going on in his life, and within eight pages, they're all flushed down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where there's the alien invasion going on, the Avengers are there to stop it, Spider-Man shows up, and all the Avengers are upset with Spider-Man. Now Spider-Man gets to tell us what happened, why everyone's upset with him, what he did, what he said, why everyone hates him. Then we get to see him losing his jo- his new job, losing his accreditations, you know, all of these things now going bad for him, and then Spider-Man decides to make an unrelated to the free offerings over at Comixology from Marvel <laughs> decision in his life, and obviously this is now where the new status quo of the book, there's your A story. So then you got your B story in this is that while Dr. Octopus was Spider-Man, he decided, Dr. Octopus, in Peter's body, under Peter's name, obviously in Doc Ock's mind, he was going to be Peter forever, so he went and got all, took all these courses, got all these degrees, got all these doctorates. Well, the new thing that the colleges are implementing in the Marvel Universe is, is to, de- de- to be able to determine forgery. Right, with an app, which Nick Spencer loves his apps in comics. Oh, he loves his app. And the app determines that all of Peter's papers that he submitted to get his doctorate were actually written by Dr. Otto Octavius. Go ahead, explain that one, secret identity boy. Yep, plagiarism. (laughs) Right, so Peter then goes and decides he's going to retake these courses, and his teacher is someone who you don't quite expect it to be. Mm-hmm. But it's a classic Spider-Man villain, and we get Mysterio stuff in this, and we get, like, a bunch of classic villain stuff, but then there's a subplot of someone shows up who we're supposed to know who it is during the Mysterio trial, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know if we're supposed to know who that is. I, the way that they, they never say his name, but the way they talk about him and the way that they act, I think it's supposed to be someone that we're supposed to know who it is. And then, of course, there's the C story of what's going on, is that to make ends meet, since Peter doesn't have a job or anything else, he's sharing <laughs> a apartment with Robbie Robertson, son of Rob Robertson, you know, his boss of the Daily Bugle, and uh, the Boomerang, whatever his name is. What's a... Uh, Boomerang shoot name, brother? I don't know, but it'll come back to me. Give me a minute. Right. Get it? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And as you might be surprised from Nick Spencer's writing of this character uh, in Superior Foes of Spider-Man, he's a shiftless layabout who doesn't want to do nothing except play his uh, video games. What was the video game? Do you remember? (sighs) It Wasn't it Call of Duty Latveria? Yeah. I lost my mind when they did that. I was like, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I love this book, but I'm a Spider-Man apologist. There's very little. I could I can think specifically of about seven to ten issues of Spider-Man in recent memory that I say avoid like the plague, but I, I recommend this book, even at the uh, $6 price tag. Would you like to know what I thought of Amazing Spider-Man? Certainly. Okay. Once again, I'm just going to throw this out there, and then I'm going to heap praises on it. At $6.99, I thought the book was a little bloated. $5.99, but yes. $5.99, a little bloated. Um, And uh, Nick Spencer was occasionally all over the place too much, where I, not being a Spider-Man fan the way you are, there's a lot of names, there's a lot of people, and I don't know if I'm supposed to know who these guys are, how they're... So him jumping from story and then back in time, and it got a little confusing. For a, for a bit man who's not a huge Spider-Man fan. So that's my only really problem with bloated and that it was a little confusing at times. But otherwise, I loved it because I'm like, as not a huge Spider-Man fan the way you are, the way I really remember him is the hard, the hard luck, Peter Parker luck, all the things. I love that. I always love that anything that he gets excited about should blow up in his face within 10 minutes of it happening. And that did. Where you say he breaks even, I always feel Peter, it's like 51% he he loses, 49% he wins. He always just seems a little worse for wear. And all that stuff is great. There's a thing where, like you said, he loses his, uh, his doctorates and all this stuff. And he's taking it well. But then he goes to see Aunt May. And that's one of the biggest... He can't explain to her what happened, and you're crushed by it. And that's what I like about it, is people can relate to having bad luck. And that's what you get from the Peter Parker story. And I I loved it all. I thought it was great. And the backup story with Mysterio, and the only thing I can think of is Mysterio, is Nick Spencer made Mysterio Calculon from Futurama. That's (laughs) As I'm reading him, I'm actually hearing the Calculon voice in my head. I'm waiting for like a dramatic pause from him and everything because he's he just seems like so like Calculon. It was cracking me up and Boomerang doing what he did all around. This is everything I wanted from a Spider-Man book. And I know I complained about it in the past and he was more Tony Stark. But this is the this is the prototype Peter Parker and it works. And when you do it right. People, this book's going to be big, as far as I'm concerned. This is everything people are going to want from Spider-Man, and I actually love it. Yay! I'm glad to have you on board of the Spider-Ship. Yes. 
So the last book that we're going to discuss is Die, Die, Die. I'm not going to pronounce the exclamation points uh, with that. <laughs> the surprise book that Image released last week, written by Robert Kirkman and Scott Gimple, who was one of the showrunners on Walking Dead, with art by Chris Burnham. Hey, Todd, do you like violence? I does. Hey, Todd, do you like uh, people turning on each other and backstabbing and all sorts of Double, triple, and even quadruple dealing? As long as it's not in a wrestling ring, I does. <laughs> and then do you like a out-of-nowhere swerve at the end of the book to hook you to come back next month? I does. Then you'll like Die, Die, Die. Um, again, no expectations going in for this book, of course. Uh, it starts off with, you know, a guy. You know, we don't get a lot of names up front where he bumps into an old man at a racetrack. And then as he's leaving, he gets into a big shootout with a, a van of guys, and there's a whole bunch of people getting shot in the face and noses getting cut off and all sorts of things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So then it turns out that this was not just some sort of random occurrence. This was a long con uh, by this woman, this leader of some sort of, I guess, British country. One would say, I guess they're... This is supposed to be in the UK, right? See, I thought it was in America. I don't even know. That's one of the confusing things, but go ahead. Okay. So, we see her long-running con and all the different ways that she attempted to figure out so that she can make sure that this railway gets set up. Mm -hmm. And there's about two, three or four pages where it's like, well, we could have had it happen this way and this way, and then each of these six to ten panels end with her and the previously seen hitman giving each other a high five. And it's like, but then this would have happened if we did it. So then we decided to go this, 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 and this. So one of the other folks shows up. Uh, I guess one of her competitors finds out that her hitman, the guy that she sent to go do this, is the one that got his nose cut off. And now she knows that there are much bigger things in play, much bigger people in play. And now she's got to go and get the big guns. And what is the relationship to uh, this other guy, her hitman that she sent out to put her machinations into motion? Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on in this book. And I know it seems like I'm kind of randomly describing it, but this is a brand new property. Um, a lot of people don't get named all that much. But I enjoyed this. I will come back for this book. I also enjoyed it. Like you said, I was a little confused on, I like the premise. I like the, the, the surprise ending. I like uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on. It's going to take me time to get my, my head wrapped around this book and, and enjoy it. I liked, you know, always walking dead was way better. I liked outcast. Uh, this is Kirkman. It's not bad. I don't think it's amazing, but like I said, it's a brand new premise, which I had no idea what, what we were getting going into it. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it, I'm, you know, I'm going to give it a couple issues and, and see where it goes. So like I said, I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. So again, I'll, you know, I'll add it to my pull list. I don't know how they're going to back solicit these sort of things. Uh, I hope they figure out a way so I don't go insane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe they could double ship it with your Sentry issue. Maybe. I was hoping you wouldn't have brought that up. It's a source. What? Subject. Me? Yeah. 
So that's what we've read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, uh, we put up the pull post every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned and be forearmed, be ready for whatever books are waiting for you when you go to the store. Mm-hmm. The two things that Todd and I are doing in the calendar year 2018 is one, of course, as always, uh, trying to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I'm still in the lead with uh, two correct guesses over Todd. The other thing is keeping the running dollar amount of how much we've spent on comics. And in a rare week, even though we are getting slightly different books, we were the same exact dollar total, which doesn't happen very often. Same amount of books, all three ninety nine probably. Yeah, DC finally has moved all their two ninety nine books up to three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. They held out as long as they could. It was what two years? Yep, they held the line at two ninety nine. Now if they can just bring back the letters page. Oh, but Twitter is the letters page of life. That is true, and you know as long as you keep your Twitter open and have a lot of people and you don't block or mute or unfriend anybody, you can have a lot of fun on Twitter. I find both of those statements highly unlikely, Todd. Dubious at the least. Yes. Uh, So looking at your list, Todd, I am going to guess the book you are most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman 51. It is Batman 51. Yes. Is the book you are looking forward to most Immortal Hulk number three? No. Is it Batman 51? It's Batman 51. Ah, and put a three next to my Immortal Hulk. I don't know why there's I refuse. One. You refuse? I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, people won't know what issue it is. But this was a difficult week. Uh, very well could have been Immortal Hulk number three. Could have been Thor number three. Could have been Quantum and Woody number eight because there's a new story arc starting. It could have been Iron Man number two because I really like that first issue that uh, Dan Slott did. But... I really want to see what the how the next chapter of Tom King's Batman begins. Mm-hmm. And Batman Begins, the movie? No, not Batman, but you know what I'm saying. Right. So yeah, Batman 51 for both of us. Uh, but I'm sure we'll end up talking about some of the other stuff here as well next week. So, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything that Todd and I have ever done on the internet. It exists over there at Longbox Heroes. Comic book related, of course. I've got a lot of wrestling ventures, and Todd has a lot of Doctor Who ventures that uh, I think have been sucked in some some sort of time portal or vortex. (laughs) Oh, yes. You can also check out our little store where we have stickers and shirts and pins featuring our fancy logo on it from our good friend Tom Derenick, DC artist extraordinaire. Uh, if you don't want or already have pins, stickers, and shirts with our fancy logo on them, of course you could purchase to your heart's content through the Amazon click-through at the top of the page. I know Prime Day allegedly was Monday, but then Amazon had a bunch of problems, so then it continued into Tuesday, who knows what's going on in the crazy world of Jeff Bezos? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but some of the notable purchases from the Amazon click-through this past week, Todd. Someone purchased a spandex stretch ottoman slipcover. Ooh. When you're getting slipcovers for your ottoman, you know you're a fancy individual. Mm-hmm. A DC Comics multiverse signature collection Flash figure 
based on the look of the Flash TV show from the 90s. Uh, someone also purchased a 22-inch 1080p LED monitor for their computer. <laughs> and someone also purchased a Fire HD Tablet 10 with uh, 32 gigs of storage. Which interests me because I'm looking into getting one of those. Now would be the time, Todd, because I think they're... I think the cost of them as part of Prime Day is a nickel. Oh, my God. I think I have one of those laying around here. You might have a nickel laying around? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember when, uh, you know, they had had uh, pictures of qu- uh, bees on them the quarter. No, give nickels. Nickels. Right. I screwed give that up. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. That's right. Yes. Uh, let me see. While while we're discussing things, how much a Kindle Ten is? I think the other day when I saw, they were like fifty bucks. That might be the that might be the the, the smaller version. I don't think they're fifty bucks. They're one hundred and fifty. Last I checked, but with Prime Day, I don't know. Right. And I don't want to sit here all day because surprisingly, Amazon is uh, moving slow. What? It's Prime Day. Mm-mm. You would think they would get extra servers for Prime Day. But thank you, everyone, who purchased anything through our Amazon click-through, of course. Uh, any little purchase helps immensely. Uh, tried to spread the love around recently from some purchases. We've been doing school shopping, Todd. Mm-hmm. So do with that what you will. And I have the uh, Fire 10 in front of me. It is originally 150 with deal. It's 99 right now. That's not bad. That isn't. No. So maybe Todd will purchase that through your Amazon click-through, and I'm just pointing to you, the royal you, the entire right. world. Uh, so there is all of that. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did. We had a few of them, Joe. We had uh, from the man Adam Van, a.k.a. The, fanc- the fancy gentleman, Joe. The man Adam Van. Remember that name. It may become important. Um, I he had listen. A, I I'll sit still for a mention of his name on one of my podcasts, but, but two, not two. No, I'm gonna have to edit the other ones out on After Dark. Okay, that's gonna be a lot of editing apparently. Um, uh, he had a Barry Kitson prelim sketch or piece that was from Azrael issue four which is basically he does a smaller version to see if he likes everything and then you know probably does the bigger version on 11 by 17 but i know what he paid for it and uh you know it's it's bigger than like a printer printer page of paper um very nice i saw it it's very cool i like it and i i wish they i could get more stuff like that because it's 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 cheaper than a printed page and very nice um also euronymous had a lapum uh fringe page that he uh, purchased somewhere from fringe page eight but i don't have what issue also uh t-bolts 712 had a elsa Cartier, i don't know how to say her name off the top of my head um sketches of both catwoman and uh, Batgirl, which are a mix of, like, Batman, the animated series, to me, and a little bit, like, I see a little bit of Jay Lee in there, maybe. I, I see don't know, a little Darwin Cook. Darwin Cook. Um, I don't know if it's, the like, the, 
the way that definitely some Darwin Cook, definitely some Bruce Tim, Darwin Cook. I don't know why I want to say a smidge, just a smidge Jaylee. Um, but they are very beautiful. And I also had a art attack this week. I had a Martian Manhunter by the great Tom Mandrake in my sketchbook, uh, which was to me one of my, one of them that I was like a dream piece that I wanted. And when I got, I was very happy about the way it turned out. So I don't know if there's a story behind it. If there is, I hope, I hope you tell it now, but I want to say looking at that piece, mm-hmm. it looks as though it is super detailed, super awesome, and I bet if you told me how long it took him to do it, I'd be shocked that it's that detailed and it took him that little amount of time to do it. I w- there wasn't much of a story other than the fact that I got to the con, got to him first, there was nobody around really yet. Um, he did it, but he did it while looking for his wallet that he had lost somewhere. And he went to the car. No, I don't know if he ever found the wallet. Um, and I would say it was done within an hour. And like I said, he was doing other stuff, signing books. He was in the car looking for stuff for a little bit. Um, and I came back and he had it all done and handed it to me. So like, I don't know if it could have took a half hour, 45 minutes, but it was definitely a half between a half hour and an hour. Right. If you gave me an hour mm-hmm. and said my life depended on drawing something that looked remotely as good as that, I'd be like, well, I'm just going to use this pen to kill myself because that's not happening. That's the same way here. Same here. That's beautiful. And that's the mark of a, a true professional that he could put something like that together in such a short amount of time and have it look so amazing. Right. No hyperbole. That was a great con. I was happy. And like I said, that was a dream sketch to get a Mandrake Martian manager. Could have got a Spectre, could have got whatever, but that's one of my favorite runs that him and Ostrander did. And I was like, well, here you go. Here's, here's a sweaty fistful of twenties, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mandrake. All right. So there's that. I think the last bit of business is a discussion of cloak and dagger. Yes. Yes, it is. All right, so again, we're going to get into the uh, discussion of Cloak and Dagger. It was the most recent episode, episode 8 of the TV show. If you do not want it spoiled, or uh, you don't really care what happened to the episode, then we bid you adieu, and uh, we'll catch you all here next week. Thanks for listening, so on and so forth. Uh, so this episode, Todd, was kind of a teaser from the previous episode, where we were informed... Uh, information about, and again, I apologize, um, what was the girl's name who Tandy was shadowing and trying to get take advantage of to find information because her dad, uh, Tandy, and this girl's dad work together. Right. Uh, Allie. So her dad uh, was on the, the rig when it exploded, the big accident that gave both Tandy and Tyrone their powers. Again, he's been in a catatonic state. Uh, Tandy gets the idea that if both she and Tyrone touch him at the same time, they will be able to hopefully figure out what's going on, and then more importantly, figure out what he knew about the accident that took her father's life. Right. Uh, I think that's a good synopsis of the show. Uh, I really like this episode. A lot. I did too. They go into uh, Allie's father's mind... And we find out that it's the explosion of the oil rig or the rig. We don't know what it is, a rig at the time. And it's basically their Groundhog Day episode, which 
we got to a Groundhog episode of Cloak and Dagger very quickly. I think you should always wait about two to three seasons before you get your Groundhog episode. But I do love that trope. It's uh, it's always pretty good. You get to you know do things over and over and over again. And in it, we find out that you know uh, that someone on the phone is calling over and over, and Tandy finds out it's her father. She ends up you know wanting to stay there, and uh, Tyrone's trying to get them to leave, but they, she just wants to stay and talk to the father. And there's some great. There's this is one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. There's some great back and forth, like what if it was your brother who was on the phone? Wouldn't you want to stay? And he's like, I I know I would, and I'd probably fall for that trap too. But it's fake, and you know it's fake. And he gives her some stuff to figure it out. And I like the, the Ali's father, like having names for everything that's going on in the in the. You know the 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 rig explosion of Groundhog Day. Um, I I actually thought this was maybe the best episode of the season. Yes, uh, this would be the episode I would recommend to someone to watch, even though kind of out of context. They do as good of a job as you need to to understand what the relationship of these people are. Um, you know, obviously them trying to find out the information about the accident and uh, how easy it is to fall into, I guess, what you think you want. And mm-hmm. obviously all Tandy wants is that time that she lost with her father. And, you know, she can have it, but at what price, Todd? Right. And then there's also... It, did we have any of the story of the, the, the cops in this? No. This it was, was all, fl- all not only Yeah, not only was it uh, a Groundhog Day episode... It was also as close to a bottle episode as this show has gotten so far, where it essentially takes place in one location, uh, technically the hotel room, uh, or the hotel, the hospital room, but also inside that guy's mind, whatever he's trapped in, is what it takes place in. Right. But we are, you know, getting closer. I know I mistakenly said at the beginning of the show that this was the second to last episode, but no, we've still got, what, two more after this? three more after this. I think I might have said this was episode eight. This is actually episode seven. Uh, It's been a long day, folks. This was episode (laughs) seven. I'm not editing any of this out. Good. I love it when you, we just lay it all out there. Right. Because the only thing worse than me making mistakes and not editing them out is making mistakes and saying, I'll edit that out later when I know for sure I'm not editing that out. Right. Maybe I'll edit it out. Yeah, you get on top of that, Todd. You use your editing tools that you have at your disposal. I have a sharp knife. I'll cut up this uh, <laughs> this this taping. We use tape, right? Right. Uh, but yes, so I, I've really been enjoying this. Um, un- well, unfortunately, things might be a little bit difficult with the uh, season finale week, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that's it, right? I think that's everything. All right, so uh, for Todd, this is Joe closing out episode 407 of Longbox Heroes, saying we'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boo!